This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital India Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. We really have a special show lined up today. Um, we, we have a return guest, Jim Buller, the president and CEO of the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, he's been part of the FOMC, helps set monetary policy in the U.S. Uh, Professor Siegel, though, I want to start with you. We need to get some market reaction to what's been going on the last few weeks. A lot of rotation, a lot of it, a lot of commentary in the Fed. So I'm going to be interested yeah, to hear well, your take I, on what's happening. I mean, we, we couldn't have picked a better day to have a, a Fed... Uh, Governor here, I'm really thrilled to have uh, Jim Jim uh, here with us. We've had, of course, several times before, but we, you know, this this is this is this is going to be a really good discussion. Um, well, all right. So, I mean, the big story is, of course, yields. Uh, the big story is um, the reopening of the economy. Uh, how much inflation we're going to have, uh, which is obviously I'm going to want want uh, Jim's reaction uh, on that. Uh, the um, uh, uh, in the markets itself, we are witnessing one of the most violent uh, um, reallocations between growth and and value stocks that has ever been been seen. I mean, uh, uh, the as as everyone knows growth has outperformed value for 10 years and over one year and all the time periods and 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 now uh mindsets have changed i mean and the two things that have changed it are a rise in yields um which of course for the tech stocks discounting those long term uh, uh cash flows becomes critical because their value depends on discounting long-term cash flows. Their, their PEs are so high that they'll only be justified by very, very high and future cash flows. So when those get discounted at a higher rate, you're going to get the movement. And the reopening of the economy, vaccinations are going uh, faster than um, right now than they were earlier. Uh, you know, I think we're essentially going to be having herd immunity within a – Within several months, it's it's always going to be in the background, and and you, you shouldn't throw caution to the wind. But we're going to have a pretty strong reopening. But I think uh, the major thing is, of course, with the buildup of liquidity, and and you know the Biden program, which is going to pass probably uh, next week, uh, which we absolutely do not need, um, but we'll have, and and so that just, uh, in my opinion, was going to is is throwing fuel on the fire. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, will lead to, we have to invest with the idea of inflation in mind, which is something I've been talking about for nine months. Um, and, um, a very, very, uh, strong, uh, economy. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, we really want to hear, um, from, uh, from James on, on, uh, his view of what is ahead for uh, the U.S. What does the Fed he think, and what does the Fed think? And is he? Uh, are you aligned with with the you know what with Jay Powell and and uh, his testimony uh, that he's been giving before Congress? Well, Jim, welcome to Behind the Markets. Uh, let's hear your latest thoughts. Well. Uh, Thanks again for having me. It's always great to be on the show here, and I, I love the 
conversation that we have. Um, I do think uh, Chair Powell did a, a great job in yesterday's interview, as he always does, and I think that the committee is in good position today. Uh, I think we've got the right policy for this situation, but it's um, one where uh, the forecasts, as uh, Jeremy just mentioned, for the U.S. economy have become uh, very strong, uh, one of the strongest years for GDP growth uh, in a generation. And, you know, there's a chance that the U.S. could grow faster than China. I like to put that line out there because I've kind of... Uh, puts things in perspective about the kind of thing people are talking about that might happen in 2021. Now, we're not there yet. Uh, that's only a forecast at this time, but I, I think markets are really starting to think about uh, what that means for valuations and, and uh, you know, what it means for inflation uh, and what it means for a whole host of issues, labor markets. And uh, uh, I think those are all very legitimate things uh, to be talking about. But right now, I think we've got the right policy in place. And uh, frankly, I think that the entire pandemic, the Fed's policy has been quite good. We had we lowered rates right at the beginning. Um, we put in place jointly with the Treasury uh, liquidity programs that I think stemmed an incipient financial panic that could have otherwise occurred. Uh, that helped a lot. Then we could just focus on one crisis, the, the pandemic, and not two crises, a uh, pandemic plus a, a, a financial panic. Uh, so we got that off the table. And then uh, the economy has done much better during 2020 and into 2021. We saw it in today's jobs report uh, than many have expected. Uh, and I think that's just a lot of that is just adaptability of the U.S. corporate sector. They've found ways to produce. They found ways to uh, make money, even during a pandemic. And um, now we're waiting for the vaccines to take hold. It looks like they're, everything's going pretty well so far. There is some downside risk, but everything's going well so far. And uh, that would allow us to open up uh, the rest of the service sector, and we'd be in very good shape. So that's why Wall Street has such uh, high hopes for real GDP growth this year. Uh, Jim, Jay Powell uh, studiously avoided um, direct comment on the Biden uh, stimulus program. Um, uh, and I know that that views, you know, although being a member of the board, um, uh, there can be disparate views. What is, is do you have a view on whether that stimulus program uh, is necessary, excessive, should be scaled down, um, and, and what impact do you think that will have on uh, the evolution of, of, of prices and interest rates? Well, uh, it's, you know, obviously being debated in the Senate as we speak. Uh, you know, I prefer to let them decide what to do here. I'm presuming it's going to pass, and that will be a fairly large bill. Um, I think that the situation today is different than the situation in March, April of 2020, when you passed the CARES Act and related legislation worth about $3.1 trillion. Uh, at that point, you didn't know how long the pandemic was going to go on, and, and you really didn't know what was going or how severe it would be. You really didn't know too much about it, and um, had bipartisan support. Here, you're looking at a situation where you do have light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the debate should center around, you know, how long do you think it'll be that the pandemic will go on? If you think it's really going to go on uh, through the end of the year or beyond that, then uh, you might take, you know, one position. If you thought it was going to, you know, potentially be over fairly quickly, you might take another position. I think if. If politics was a little bit different, uh, you know, they might take a wait-and-see attitude and, and uh, decide what to do what's your a little while yeah, after after purpose? you get more a better read on where the pandemic's going. But politics isn't like that, so I, I, I'm just assuming it's going to go through. 
now, uh, what happened last time is that, you know, last spring was that a lot of the uh, relief money was saved by households. And that, to me, made perfect sense because the households weren't sure how long the pandemic would go on or whether Congress would appropriate any more money uh, in the future. But this time, um, you've got a light at the end of the tunnel, so I don't think that households will be as incentivized to save the relief money they're more likely to spend it, and I think that's what Wall Street is penciling in here, and that's why you've got you know, people saying growth for all of 2021 will be 6.5%, uh, growth in the current quarter, second quarter, third quarter, you know, extremely strong by U.S. standards uh, all the way through the end of the year and into 2022. What's your opinion on, uh, I, do you see potential inflation as a threat this year or next year? Uh, you know, well above two. I mean, we know Fed has said we're going to go above the target, but you know, do you see anything three, four, maybe five percent uh, as a possibility over the next two years, given uh, the buildup of liquidity? Well, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I do think uh, it's more of a wait and see view on this because we've missed our inflation target to the low side pretty much since the day we announced it. So, you know, we said we were trying to hit 2%, and uh, inflation's only averaged about 1.4% since, uh, since that announcement. So we've been too low, and we adopted this new framework, which said, okay, we're, we're not going to be as preemptive as we would have been during the Greenspan era and in other eras where uh, if we saw any incipient inflation pressure, we kind of jumped on it. And now I think the committee's uh, thinks I think, anyway, that, that, that was, that's overdone for our current era and that now we have to be less preemptive than we would have been. So we're going to wait and see uh, what happens with inflation. Right now we're still below target uh, by many But that's measures. very backward-looking, right? And then yeah, year I know. Over I know. Year. And, but there is potential now for uh, this to be one of the times when inflation does move higher. And I think uh, one of the... Uh, tales I've been telling here is that no matter what your view is on the, uh, what your theory is about inflation, uh, they're all pointing toward higher inflation. So maybe this is the time we'll actually uh, see some more than we're used to in 2021 and 2022. You know, if you're a monetarist, uh, money growth has been, you know, off the charts. And uh, so for that camp, they would predict higher inflation for Fiscal theory people, you know, deficits are uh, very outsized here. These are gigantic compared to anything we've seen in the past. So if you think that's a root cause of inflation, then that points toward higher inflation. And if you think it's a robust economy, a sort of Phillips curve uh, view, then it certainly looks like uh, we're going to have a very robust economy in, in 2021 and beyond. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, uh, and this is uh, very interesting, you know, the, the monetarist view. Uh, and, and as we've talked about in the past, the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, uh, back in the days when I <laughs> got my Ph.D., we're, we're talking a half a century ago, but um, it was the bastion of looking at the money supply and believing of uh, that it was a very important source of uh, movements in the economy and particularly uh, inflation. Um, um, and uh, uh, some people even called uh, the Federal Reserve of St. Louis to be the, the unofficial uh, uh, Federal Reserve arm of the University of Chicago, Milton Friedman. Um, now, and, and you're right, the, th- this is what concerns me so, so much. Um, M2 growth last year um, was an all-time high, and I'm going back to 1870. I got the yearly data, which, of course, Milton Friedman gathered in the monetary history of the United States, uh, peaking out at over 20 percent. Um, it exceeded that uh, in the Second World War, exceeded that in the First World War. Um, uh, and and now we're going to have more uh, as the Biden bill passes. I'm, I'm sure that, the, I mean, those, these checks are going right into people's accounts, monetized by the Fed. Um uh, do you, uh, James? Are you, are you is feel 
being from St. Louis and that history that is so strong, the research that, was, that has come out of, of that Federal Reserve, I mean, do you, I, I'm very worried. Are, are, do you have worries? Well, I think the the risk has increased, and the the problem with the monetary theories was that the empirical evidence started to break down in the 90s and the 2000s, and uh, you just didn't have a, a very close relationship over short periods of time. Over longer periods of time, the theory has actually worked, you know, fairly well. The other part of it is that uh, a lot depends on what expected future growth is, and so to the extent the Fed has developed a lot of credibility since the since the 1970s. Today we have a lot more credibility than we had then. Um, so, you know, markets trust us to keep inflation under control, and that helps, uh, that helps mitigate uh, what you would other, otherwise get from a, uh, a very large increase in the, in the money growth rate. So, um, I'm, you know, I put a little bit of weight on it, and I do watch it closely, but... Um, you know, the empirical relationship hasn't been that close uh, over the last 20 years. Now, you might come back and say, well, yes, but this is this is a crazy uh, amount of money growth. So, uh, and maybe that'll turn out to be true here. Yeah, I mean, I, I that, and I agree with you. I mean, the, 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 when you were talking about more moderate deviations, it hasn't ever followed that closely. But these are like low out proportions and, and and i mean you said it earlier i mean if you're a fiscalist the deficits you know are record levels uh the uh but the the money surge and uh isn't it true that the biden plan uh i mean the only way that this is going to cause a money surge i mean the fed is not ready to to neutralize the money that is that is going to be part of this so we had a 20% increase in M2, highest in in history last year. Um, you know, we could have another 10, 15% here. Um, we've just never never seen this before, um, and uh, I think the markets and and I agree with you. One of the reasons why the you know why is the 10 year at 155, not 355, <laughs> because you know. The Fed has built up a lot of credibility, but isn't there this possibility? Because one thing that we know that economists have been saying, Milton Friedman is saying, you know, it's it's you can't drive inflation like you drive a car and turn the wheel and it moves immediately. You can't get to that two and a quarter, two and a half percent, which you've talked about, and immediately turn it off. Um, it's a much more long and variable lag. Um, and is there a danger that it's just going to get momentum on its own, that it's going to drive it? I know, maybe you could say, hey, so we're going to have 5% inflation for three years. Uh, you know, okay. I mean, wages are going to go up, price is going to go up, eat in the way of the debt, but it's going to cost a lot of reputation, uh, which the Fed has gained as, as being, you know, uh, low inflation for the last 20 to 30 years. Well, we do we do keep a close eye on inflation, and uh, if if we do get above two uh, percent here on a sustained basis, uh, that will be welcome. But then, if you started to get uh, problems beyond that, uh, that would that would certainly is there a uh, trigger that I mean, what would that would start on to, a year over year three, three and a half? Um, I've said that you know we missed the inflation target by half a percent for quite a while. Uh, on average, uh, so now I think you could be above target by half a percent for uh, some time, and that process would reassure markets that we're actually going to hit our inflation target on average over time, and that would cement our expectations, uh, private sector expectations at our inflation target, and that would be a better outcome for the U.S. economy. So that's what we're hoping for. Now, you correctly point out that you know, this is a, a process that we haven't gone through before, and this is something that, uh, you know, we could handle badly, but I'll assure you that we will handle it exactly correctly. Um, the other thing I would say about this whole scenario and the situation we're in today is that the pandemic has been uh, 
unprecedented shock, a different kind of shock than we're used to. And I think the policy response overall, the policy response has been very, very good. Uh, you had this idea about you know, let's borrow on international markets and, and keep disrupted households whole so that they could pay their bills and, and uh, not cause damage across the entire economy. That has worked pretty well, personal income in the U.S. is actually above the 2019 trend that you would have drawn. So uh, in terms of, in the aggregate, the the amount of resources remains above the trend line. So we've certainly kept households whole in that sense. You've been seeing that graph a lot uh, in newspaper articles and discussions recently. So um, plenty of resources uh, to keep consumption going. The the pandemic's still going on. Uh, but hopefully we'll get to a close here if these vaccines are going to work as well as they seem to be. And um, and that will have been a, a great outcome if there was ever a time to borrow a lot of money and and help the economy through a situation. This, is the, this was the time to do it. So in that sense, I think uh, it's all been quite successful from a policy perspective uh, as we've tried to handle this human tragedy. Professor, let me just reintroduce our guest here quickly. We're talking with Jim Bullard, president of the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Uh, we've got Professor Jeremy Siegel for more, and I'm Jeremy Schwartz. But President Bullard, when you, when you look at the move in rates, is there a level of rates move that would would scare you, that, 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 that it's moving too fast, too high, and that the Fed should react to it? Or is the move in yields just something that's natural from what's going on in the economy right now? Yeah, I've said uh, previously that I, I think the the growth prospects picking up and the uh, prospect of the end of the pandemic looming um, is is bringing real yields higher. And as we've just discussed, uh, inflation uh, prospects have firmed uh, and inflation risk has probably moved up some. So both all those things I think are being priced into markets, and so you've got longer term yields rising uh, in conjunction with that. I think another thing about this era uh, of the last year is that the the volatility in this data is much higher than we've been used to over the previous decade. Um, the previous decade looks very sleepy compared to <laughs> what happened. You know, unemployment went to 14.7% and then declined by eight, uh, or more uh, percentage points. I mean, that kind of thing doesn't usually happen and it all makes sense because this is a pandemic and this is a special shock and so on but but um uh so things are happening much faster i think than uh they have uh over the previous decade but some of that makes sense because uh because of the special situation we're in you know talking about the the 10 year i mean you know obviously 150 is still really low for the ten year, uh, I mean, is there is there a level that that would spark your concern um, on the ten year? Is are the bondholders beginning to tell the Fed, "Hey, keep your eyes open and uh, maybe not be complacent"? What is there is there a point where you would you know uh, begin to be concerned as you mentioned uh inflation rising persistently above two percent what 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 is there a bond level that that would concern you and professor so i'd be curious on your thoughts on the equity markets after that like what 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 do you think the equity markets are, are going to yeah. react to these feelings but let, let's let him comment first yeah yeah um uh, those that are in- listeners that are interested can check out my uh slide deck for the Georgia State Forecasting Conference, which is on my webpage, and there I have a chart on the 10-year. Um, it's just now returning to the levels that are would have been consistent with the six months before the pandemic hit. So uh, I think your characterization is right that these are still quite low levels um, of yields, and uh, uh, it's natural for them to be going higher as growth prospects are improving, not just improving really, but going, you know, very, very strong growth uh, expected in 2021 and beyond, and uh, and inflation risk moving up. So th- a lot of that's uh, very natural. As a central banker, I'm always, you know, concerned if there's disorderly trading uh, or, uh, you know, 
something that looks panicky uh, that would that would catch my attention. But I think um, I think we you know we're not at that point. Uh, yeah, let me uh, follow up on uh, Jeremy's question about the equity market. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the rates are still extraordinarily low. The real rates are still negative. I mean, this is still very, very um, positive, I think, for, for equities uh, in general. Um, uh, you know, even if the 10-year goes to two and a half um, uh, or three, I, I, I think that's going to be less than what the inflation is going to be, since I am concerned quite concerned about that inflation rate rising. So, you know, I'd be happy to borrow three if inflation is four. Uh, that's still a negative rate. So, we, you know, we're, we're nowhere near where, oh, my God, I mean, I'm, I'm going to prefer fixed income uh, to equities. Equities are real assets. They're based on real capital, plant equipment, trademarks, copyrights, intellectual property all all that is is our real assets so you want real assets in a world where uh you do fear inflation and uh, there, there's no com- the competition isn't even close yet the question is i i think and 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 and, and james you mentioned that the the you know it's back to where you think it is i mean if it goes above let's say two or two and a half would would that concern you, or would you prefer to to just look at what what is happening to in inflation uh, going forward? Yeah, I think we'll focus on our on our dual mandate. We still need to get a lot of repair in uh, uh, labor market, um, and we, you know, as of today, inflation is still running below our target. So a lot of this is kind of speculative about what's going to happen. Uh, as the pandemic comes to a close, and I, we want to wait and see uh, what's going to happen there. I think you can't really talk about specific levels of longer-term interest rates without the context uh, about it. So I don't think you can just draw a line in the sand uh, around it. So it's got to, you know, you have to make an assessment of at any point in time with whether you think that's consistent with the. Uh, uh, the vector of data that we're observing and also consistent with uh, the policy that we're trying to achieve. Talking about uh, the economy inflation pressures that Professor Siegel's been talking about for the last year with, with Jim, uh, and, and we talked about uh, really where you see the economy going, Jim, during the first half of the show. Uh, as, as you think about the factors that could impact things negatively for the economy, for the markets, um, you know, how much should the Fed be watching moves in equities as a reaction function, um, as as things like the tech sell-off that Professor Siegel talked about? When does, does that start to worry the Fed also if the markets have a, a sort of tailspin reacting to these, these higher rates? Uh, I mean, I, I think the, the main thing to remember here is we're still in the pandemic, so it's the news from the front on the war against the pandemic that's really the, the key here. That news has been good in recent weeks and the charts look very promising and the vaccine rollout uh, looks to be uh, proceeding. We're seeing lots of stories about that. So I think um, anytime, uh, if you look at economic history, uh, especially when countries were at war, then the, the news from the front was always the, the thing that drove financial markets. I think this is no different. Um, so the risk would be that there's some kind of glitch or some kind of problem uh, that uh, that makes the uh, pandemic last much longer or become more severe uh, in the month, months and weeks ahead. And I think markets are putting lower and lower probability on that. But if that should develop, then um, you know I'm sure that there'd be a lot of repricing around that. As far as uh, equities generally, I mean, uh, we, let, we like to let the markets try to price these these companies and their prospects and um, do the best they can. Um, again, if you got disorderly trading uh, or or panicky, then I think you'd want to pay more attention uh, and and take a look at what's really really driving that. Um, uh, sometimes that happens uh, naturally, and sometimes it's uh, policy. 
Jim, yeah, uh, I just have one more question about inflation, and then I want to uh, move on to some of the other important uh, economic issues. Uh, and I see oil now, um, West Texas, over 66. Uh, Brent, which is, of course, tr- traded in, in, in London, is near 70. I don't think anyone believes that would be possible six months ago when we when we saw oil at zero or negative uh, prices um the crb index is now trading above the pre-pandemic level i i heard a report uh, this morning that the raw materials including steel and others that are used to make an automobile are are now in the last six months, up by uh, almost to be over a thousand dollars, we we may be facing uh, an increase in the minimum wage, if not to fifteen, um, uh, you know, uh, certainly higher ones that could increase costs of, of labor. Uh, are, are the the warning signs seem to be more persistent than? we have ever seen them in these uh, two decades of lower than um, target uh, inflation. Um, uh, are these some of the factors that, I mean, the, the Fed could consider, or are, uh, are they alarming to you at, at the present time? Uh, I, I would certainly keeping an eye on that. Uh, we're getting lots of reports about shortages of various types of goods and products. Lumber is one that's, uh, you know, really moved up a lot as the housing uh, market has stayed strong all the way through the pandemic and looks looks like it's poised to remain strong going forward. Um, so, and commodity prices, uh, you know, it, it totally makes sense that they would uh, be on a tear here as the pandemic comes to an end and the global economy uh, uh, recovers. Um, You've got, you know, not just the U.S., but the the rest of the world probably coming behind the U.S., uh, uh, looking to also grow very rapidly. So that's going to put a lot of demand on commodities. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, I think these are going to feed into the inflation numbers, and they will be. You know, that's not really sustained inflation, but uh, it can affect inflation expectations and. Um, and that can be a factor uh, that drives inflation going forward. So we'll see if uh, if all that develops. But there's certainly uh, a lot of um, sort of supply type uh, anecdotes and markets that seem to be indicating that uh, that you're going to get price pressure from that direction. And on the minimum wage, you know, it doesn't look now like that's going to be included in this bill at the federal level, but. There's an ongoing debate on the minimum wage, as there has been for decades, and and you're seeing a lot of local movement on this, uh, which is, you know, in some ways more appropriate because you've got these local labor markets. But they are, uh, you know, wanting to uh, wanting to increase those levels, and and uh, you know that also feeds through some to inflation. And Jim, uh, going back to to rates and. Uh, you know, coming up to the uh, March meeting, at, and that, that's a meeting where, of course, the Fed makes projections. Um, it is also true, and I'm, I'm going to herald you on you. You were always the low point on what you thought um, the Fed funds rate was going to be. The uh, you recognize that the real fund, Fed funds rate had gone down from two percent, probably to zero, with a two percent target that gives you a two percent. Fed fund. You were also, am am I right, the only Fed official that didn't give a long-term Fed funds because you felt that uh, there was just too much uncertainty going forward. Um, uh, What's your current, and you're going to be asked, or maybe you've already been asked, but will be soon again to make those very forecasts for the uh, FOMC uh, meeting. Um, uh, what, wh- how do you feel right now about that? Yeah, uh, well, we don't have to do it uh, right now, but if I had to do it today, I'd say unemployment, official unemployment will come down to about 4.5% by the end of the year. Growth will be uh, GDP growth, um, probably 6.5% uh, this year. 
So uh, we're talking about a very robust uh, economy, you know, unemployment in today's jobs well report. above December, isn't it, the consensus? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the jobs report today said 6.2% yeah. unemployment. So I'm, I'm already marking that down by, uh, you know, a long ways from where I guess it's 1.7 percent from where it is today uh, by the end of the year. So if if you get that kind of movement on official unemployment, that would come with a, a very strong uh, U.S. economy. That's the way things are shaping up. There would be some risk to that because you you know you can never be sure when you're in a crisis. You can never be sure it's going to go quite the way you think, and it's you know it's possible the virus will surprise us here. But so far, it looks like the Vaccines are doing uh, what they're supposed to do, and that we'll we'll get to uh, a good situation with respect to controlling this disease. Now, you also asked to do PCE, uh, personal consumption expenditure uh, deflator projection for this year. Are are you tempted to bump yours up, or do you think the FOMC uh, will have a higher consensus for this year, next year? Uh, if I was doing it today, we. To be fair, we haven't really done our process yet, but uh, I'd say we'll we'll be above two percent at the end of the year uh, on inflation, PC mm-hmm. inflation. So, um, you know, how fast I don't that remember process, whether how fast that process works that way. <laughs> so I don't have that in front of me, but maybe you remembered, <laughs> Jim. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Maybe you remember what they what the projection was last December on what 2021 PCE was going to be by uh, the FOMC. I think it. Well, I, I shouldn't say I don't have it in front of me, but it's yeah. a little below two percent. Yeah, so, so no. you would we would bump it above. And what about your Fed funds? Are you going to continue to decline to give a long-term rate, or are you tempted to to, to do that? And um, no, I, I have felt that uh, the long-term part of the SCP is the part where we have the least uh, knowledge, and also, you know, that's. By the time you get out to those kind of years in the future, far in the future, you know, monetary policy doesn't have much impact, So, except for the inflation rate. So I don't really think that the long-term part is very useful, and so I don't think we should try it, but we should step back from speculating on that. You mean giving just, a long-term? Uh, right. I think we should just talk about, okay, here's how we think for our, our, our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Here's. I think what we should do is just say, Here's how we think the economy is going to uh, evolve over the next two years, maybe three years, uh, and then just stop there. And then, you know, other people can put in what they think is going to, you know, happen over longer medium-term and long-term trends. Um, but we don't have to really be in that game in order to run monetary policy. Um, I also would like to mention you have, we have, the U.S. has a new Fed governor. Uh, who is your colleague? Yes, uh, yes Chris Waller. Is yeah, on the you job. Uh, very close relation. Was he your teacher? Uh, I, I never took a class from him. He's my co-author and yeah. uh, my research director here at the St. Louis Fed. Yeah, now been approved to uh, join the board of governors. So he's he is on the job. Um, for now, he's working from here in, in St. Louis, and uh, so we're. We're expecting great things from him uh, on the Board of Governors. Yeah. As uh, I think listeners may know that he's one of the top authorities on central bank independence in his uh, in his research yeah. and one of the best published people in the field on that. Excellent, topic. excellent choice. Um, and, uh, you know, that that uh, that uh, Trump made. And uh, so you're, there's two people from – is that unprecedented to have two governors from – one district? I, I mean, actually, I thought there was some maybe restriction on that, but two from St. Louis. You uh, the, uh, well, I'm president of the bank. Uh, he's a governor. Uh, the governor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. You're on yeah. the um, the presidency, so that's allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's still it's it's unusual to have people two people from the bank that that close. I'm trying to think of history. Maybe New York. You know, you. Would. <laughs> <laughs> you would have had that, but St. Louis now, and, and as I said, I mean, you know, the, uh, I, I don't know whether Chris or you, as I mentioned early in the show, um, you know, you know about that history of St. Louis looking at the money supply, and um, 
Uh, and uh, as you said just a few uh, seconds ago, we control the inflation long run, not much of the real economy. And that was really the spirit of uh, uh, the monitor's thought in, uh, uh, from F- Professor Friedman. Um, yeah, I think that that part of the monetarist revolution carried the day. Uh, that part really worked well, and I think it came into better focus when you got to the inflation targeting era of the 1990s, uh, where you explicitly told all these central banks around the world, you guys are responsible for keeping the inflation rate low and stable. And uh, lo and behold, inflation rates all around the world came down to low levels and by and large, stayed pretty close to the inflation target. So I think all of that was um, was the success story of uh, of Friedman and his uh, and his uh, co-authors and, and followers. Yeah, and I, I and 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 the guts of uh, Volcker back in '79 to raise interest rates as yeah. high they had to go to break the back of inflationary expectations. And it's it's really important you don't. Don't want to you, you you know you got tremendous goodwill on the part of the people keeping inflation down. You don't want that to sort of get out of hand. Um, uh, yeah. Well, but you know that goes to the the, the question here. You know we're adding three four trillion dollars to debt. We're up to record levels relative to GDP. I think we've just surpassed World War II on the net uh, debt to GDP level. I mean it. You know, uh, some people should say, well, inflation is the way we're really going to lower that debt ratio to more manageable levels. Let it, let it rip. It's, it's more politically acceptable than let's raise taxes. Um, uh, I mean, is, is that a way that we can do? How are we going to get that debt ratio in control in the long run, Jim? Uh, that's a great question for Congress uh, as to where they want to go here, but uh, that it's true that the deficit hawks have um, melted into the woodwork here, and really neither party is, is talking very much about keeping um, keeping fiscal discipline in Washington. It has broken down. And I, I have to say a lot of this is, is the fault of us macroeconomists because we have we have, um, for years, you know, warned and been scolded about uh, high deficit spending and high levels of debt to GDP ratios, and we've given a lot of warnings that haven't really materialized. At least for countries that have um, a lot of credibility for their monetary and fiscal policy. So, yeah. Um, so it's the, the, Maastricht sky, the treaty. sky is falling, chicken little. Is that that? Yeah, I think the Maastricht Treaty embodied that in the '90s when the ECB was started, uh, the treaty call says that um, countries can't go above 60% debt-to-GDP ratios. Well, every country in Europe is above, you know, 60% GDP ratio. And 3%, by the way, deficit. Remember that, 3% too. deficits. And, and then you had Japan uh, going, uh, you know, way up over two, 200% debt-to-GDP, and, and nothing, you know, certainly didn't lead to disaster in the U.S. now, over 100%. So... I just think that we need to, uh, you can't just draw a line in the sand and give this kind of blanket advice for all countries. You have to be more granular in your recommendations well, about so, what different countries can do in different situations. So so that brings us to, you know, what is sometimes called modern monetary theory, which I, I don't think is modern. I mean, I, I've been teaching it for 50 years, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean... Is there, I mean, it's like there's no limit to how much you can run a deficit until it really matters. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, until the bond market backs up and tells you you just can't float any more debt. I mean, is that is that what's going to finally wake up Congress? I mean, we take a look at history, uh, you know, where Reagan tax cut, uh, it, it, the interest rates backed up, and they had to uh, move back some of it, not all of it. Same thing happened under Bush. I mean, is that where the signal is going to come? Is the bond market back up? And if so, you know, when when might that be? Yeah, I think um, that's the right question to ask is, uh, what are these endogenous debt limits for various countries? And, um, you know, you might be able to borrow quite a lot from the international market, 
but if they if they start to lose faith or start to uh, question your ability or willingness to repay as a country, they'll punish you severely. And and you certainly see that with uh, Greece, uh, to some extent, Italy, uh, Portugal, um, and other countries getting into severe difficulties uh, with their debt. Um, but I think the question is that. You know where is that debt limit for all these different countries, and it depends on you know political processes, governance, um, credibility of the uh, monetary policy for various countries, or the or the monetary situation as it would be in Europe. Um, so uh, it's a, just a much more nuanced message about how much debt is too much debt at the federal level. Um, than it would have been coming out of the Maastricht Treaty, just 60% or else you're yeah. going to hell in a handbasket. Right. Well, that's been sort of blown apart as, uh, you know, long ago. I mean, did you want to venture? What, is the, our, is, is the, are we anywhere near that limit now? Um, or are we, I mean... I think it's fairly clear that the, the world would lend us uh, quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah, if, I mean, uh, it, so it's it really does, a strategic decision on our part about what you know. Do you really want to take that on or not? Is is the fact that it's broken through limits without consequence? I mean, part of it, of course, is is uh, is the inflation story and 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 that success. Obviously, that's a big part of it. But the part of it, of course, is the big drop in real interest rates. I mean, uh, is is that due to the demographic factors, slow growth, longer retirements? I mean, do you, do you yeah, those have are, your those are uh, big factors? I, you know, another aspect of this debate is like, well, you're going to borrow. What are you going to borrow for? Um, you know, are you borrowing to a purpose? And here we're borrowing, you know, to handle this pandemic. So that kind of makes sense. Um, it'd be even better to borrow to invest in the productive capacity of the economy. That infrastructure. Yeah. Um, or you know, if if that's really what you're going to spend it on. Not, not things that don't actually materialize. So, um, I think investors see through that. They they see that, and they if they think that you're, you know, you're investing to prove productive capacity, it might uh, lend you more. If you're investing to have a big party, then uh, maybe not. But don't so you... for Greece, I think the question was was definitely. They borrowed a lot more, but where is all this gone? The productive capacity of the Greek economy was not higher, and investors backed off at some point. They said, well, let's, we don't think we're going to get paid here. But let's talk about that infrastructure. I mean, the next Biden plan after they pass this is an infrastructure plan, which, by the way, as we know, actually got bipartisan support. It was actually one of Trump's uh, um, priorities never got done. Uh, it will get done. Um, but it looks like also because if it's two trillion and one and a half, at that point there will be a tax plan uh, also. Um, uh, is that is that, do you do you see that coming later this year? And um, how do you think uh, you know that will be uh, uh, impacting the economy? You know. Uh I'm not quite sure how I'd handicap this, and other people are better observers of politics than I am, but uh, um, I thought that during the Trump era that you would get an infrastructure bill because Trump, the, the builder, was, you know, was all for it and uh, wanted to do it, and you would think that you could craft a bill that would give things to lots of different people in Congress and you'd be able to get it passed, but there does not, that doesn't seem to happen. So, or didn't happen, uh, and so I'm a little skeptical whether uh, a compromise can be crafted here that will work. Um, so right now I'm not. Uh, I'm only putting 50% probability on that. Actually. Really? I mean, yeah. even with the Dems controlling everything. I mean, why, 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 why is your skepticism uh, so high? Yeah, maybe. Maybe they can craft something that'll that'll work and they'll, they'll push it through. But I, I just think there starts to be infighting um, because it's very sensitive about what, you know for each vote what what is what is that guy going to get in their district or their state and mm-hmm. something that they really want or not or they really think they're going to benefit or not. And I think that's where the political um, 
debate kind of breaks down a little bit, it's not so much party lines yeah. as as trying to make sure that you're bringing the bacon home to your own district. But I, but I think there there's going to be oh, uh, maybe enough, enough bacon. Enough bacon. And mm-hmm. I actually think the infrastructure bill is more justified than this bill <laughs> that is going to go through next week in terms of helping the economy. So, I, I mean, in a way... Um, uh, and, and, you know, this bill has a lot of controversy. We all know what it is. We're not going to repeat it here. And yet Dems are going to, you know, ram it through on reconciliation. They have one more reconciliation bill that they can do this year. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, the tax increase with the infrastructure bill. Um, and uh, that will probably come sometime in the summer. Um, yeah, I think another thing about infrastructure spending and, and that type of bill that would be different would be that that spending would be stretched out over 10 years, whereas this spending here mm. is really meant to go into the economy right now. You're actually sending checks to people and increasing yeah. the unemployment benefits and doing things like that that are meant to provide relief in this situation. So I think that, you know, the I don't know, the CBO will, will take a look at that, and it, it will have different ramifications. Uh, than for the economy than this bill. Jeremy, do you want to ask a question? I know we're getting to the yeah, end. Yeah, we're, we're in our final few seconds here, President Boyd, but I know I've seen some people ask about the, the Operation Twist or any levels of the curve mm-hmm. that That's interest you as something to, uh, to to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't see that as, uh, as an option right now. Um, of course, we have done that historically, but right now you've got very strong uh, uh, outlook for the U.S. economy, and you've already got a very easy uh, monetary policy, so it's just not matching up, you know, right now that we have to do anything to be even more dovish than we are. Yeah, I mean, Operation, you know, I, I, I don't uh, support it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you don't. I mean, but I mean, the market some might, may want it as the long rate goes up, but I think it's very dangerous for the Fed to try to try to do something like that. Um, well, we're in our final closing thoughts here. President Bullard, it's always a pleasure to have you for the hour. Really get an in-depth conversation. Not often we get to do that kind of thing. Thank you, President Bullard, for joining us here on Behind the Markets. Okay, thanks for having me. Have a yeah. great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. And Professor Siegel, thank you for the comments. Please note, I'm a registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Our discussion is not tied to the offers of investment products, and the views our guests are not those of Wizards Affiliates. You can always listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast every week. I'd like to thank our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.